is What's Next from American Security Project. I'm Maggie Feldman-Pilch. Today, we're joined by Heather Higginbottom, who, of course, was Deputy Secretary of State, but maybe less known prior to that, prior to being Deputy Director of OMB, prior to four years at the White House, prior to being President Obama's, and then candidate Obama's uh, policy director on the campaign, and then Senator Kerry's ledge director. She was, in fact, the founding executive director of ASP. So, Heather Higginbottom, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. So, obviously, you're not at the State Department anymore, and now you are the chief operating officer at CARE, right? Yes, that's right. So, what is CARE to you? We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and how would you explain CARE? CARE is one of the leading international NGOs that is focused on alleviating poverty around the world and transforming people's lives. And one of the things that I really value about CARE as an organization is its focus on women and girls and has a deep understanding and um, body of of programming that understands that targeting women and girls really uh, alleviates poverty and creates economic opportunity. And so that's one of the the great, um, I think, advantages of CARE and one of the reasons I'm so happy to be there. So... I think for those that are more familiar with your work at the State Department, um, obviously the QDDR, a number of other things, won't be enormously surprised to hear that you're at CARE and what <laughs> CARE does. Um, and some of that work, you know, we were talking again before we started recording ab- about what it actually is that CARE does, and there's a lot having to do with the foreign assistance budget, foreign aid budget. Um, how does that kind of connect to what CARE does? Great. Well, first... CARE operates in 94 countries around the world, um, and it provides a variety of programming from nutrition and water and sanitation um, to economic empowerment. Um, We have, as I mentioned, a a great focus on gender. Um, A a bit, uh, a significant portion of the resources that CARE USA depends on are the for, from the foreign assistance budget, program, uh, programs that, that come from USAID, um, from some other agencies. We also, of course, have resources from private donors and other foundations, um, but the USG government funding is really important, and um, one of the, the strings from my past role to this one um, is, is the priority and the importance of the foreign assistance budget um, for the U.S. government, and um, it's, it's a big part of our advocacy and our engagement at CARE, and it was a big part of my over oversight responsibility at the State Department. So recently, Secretary of Defense Mattis said at a congressional uh, testimony that if we cut the State Department budget, we cut USAID, um, Congress is going to have to buy him more bullets. Uh, This is something that came up a lot in the QDDR um, while you were running it and is obviously an important aspect of what you do now. So when you hear Secretary Mattis say that, what does that mean to you? Well, he is one of many current and former military leaders who understand that we really have three legs uh, in national security. We have defense, we have diplomacy, and we have development. And we are engaged in creating opportunities for people. Um, it, we we uh, ensure there are conditions for prosperity and opportunity. And when we do that, uh, we limit the conditions for war and conflict. Uh, we are in places that could be very destabilized or are destabilized and could break out into violence that, that put American interests at, at, at risk. And uh, General Mattis and others appreciate that. They see it on the ground and they understand We don't do our development assistance uh, just because it makes us feel good, although that is something to be proud of as as Americans. We do it because it makes us safer. 
um, that's true. It also makes us more prosperous as, as a nation. And so there are many reasons why we should make this investment. And it's only 1% of the federal budget, just 1%. And uh, we're able to do so much good around the world. And at a time when there are so many conflicts, crises, um, obviously we have a, a massive migration crisis, it's even more important to maintain this investment. And so uh, I personally am quite grateful for the leadership of the current and former military leaders who speak so compellingly of the importance of this investment. And I think, you know, it's certainly, it makes a lot of sense to those of us who, who think about this issue quite a bit that there is a tie between development and stability. Um, but on the tactical level, that's it, harder to explain. So what's some of the work that CARE is doing in you know, these 94 countries that for you makes the tie to greater stability and therefore you know, better security for US national interests so clear? I think there's many different ways, but let's just pick one angle. So we have um, a growing youth bulge globally. We're going to have more and more young people. We have more and more young people. Um, when those people don't have opportunity, ec economic opportunity, if they don't have jobs, if they can't contribute, they are more likely to be um, become isolated and potentially um, violent and, and mm -hmm. to fall into the category of violent extremists. Um, one of the reasons that uh, our development assistance is so important is that we can go into those countries and we can attack, we can um, uh, address the constraints to growth, the, those challenges that keep young people in particular from having a meaningful role in their communities and their villages. Um, and we know there's evidence in a lot of studies, and, and you can hear it from um, national security experts, that show those interventions address those concerns. They bring people into their communities. They reject the isolationism and, and the draw to violent extremism. So that's just one avenue. There are others. Um, but w that stability is so important. And when we see the, the global trends, such as climate change, um, such as the, the youth bulge, which increases uh, urbanization all around the world, mm -hmm. we're going to have a whole series of, of um, issues to deal with that will, in fact, be destabilizing, if not addressed, and could certainly threaten the United States. So there are a range of issues to deal with. You know, we could get into global health and pandemics and disease, and, sure. and of course, we saw that with Ebola. There's many different fronts, um, but fundamentally, that engagement is critical. And it's really, you know, America's leadership in development uh, in international development is critical. And one of the reasons um, I feel so passionately about this is because I've seen it. Um, I know how important it is to our prosperity and security. And because the current administration has proposed to cut it quite significantly, and I have great concerns, as do many others, about the impact of, if those cuts were realized. So, I, again, you know, we've talked about, right, current and retired military leadership seems to really understand this link between development, diplomacy, and defense as the three pegs of our national security, something that obviously the State Department understands, obviously USAID understands, and some other people. Congress, the people who, you know, the power of the purse, the actual budget. Um, in your time at State and in other roles, you know, as a staffer and even now, how do you tell that story in a way that makes sense and has an impact and, and protects the foreign assistance budget? That's a great question. First, I'd say there are members of Congress in both houses on both sides of the aisle who are passionate supporters of the investment in the foreign sure. affairs budget. Even those who may be more fiscally conservative, they understand the value of this investment and how it keeps America safe. 
um, and the important role we play in, in, in the world with this assistance. That being said, the, the real leaders on those issues are people who have been, um, been there. They've been on the ground. They've engaged. They, um, they've seen it firsthand. And I think that's really important. Hearing those stories, seeing transformed lives, um, is, 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 I think, what really unlocks this issue for people, once it can be dis demystified. I think the other issue, there's, there's a, if you do a sort of man or woman on the street interview, as some organizations have done, the American people tend to think that our investment in the foreign affairs budget is much greater than right. it actually is. Um, as I said, it's just about 1% of the budget. And when you explain to people what we're getting for that 1%, whether it's the, the significant decrease in eventual, uh, I hope, elimination of uh, HIV AIDS, um, whether you talk about opening new markets in countries that American businesses can go into and make investments, they start to really see what that's like. I think nothing can replace actually being in a, in a developing sure. country and seeing the impact of these programs. But I think second hearing from people is really compelling. I, um, I'll be excited uh, very soon. I'll get to meet a beneficiary of one of our programs at CARE who has an amazing story. She was um, forced into an early marriage at the age of 15. Um, she was married and to a 60-year-old man who regularly abused her. Um, she participated in one of our um, village savings and loan programs. Essentially, you get a small loan. She became a salt seller. Eventually, um, after taking more loans, she became a wholesaler. Wow. Um, she was able to divorce her husband, achieve economic independence, uh, and then she went on to actually um, start more of these clubs throughout uh, the Ivory Coast where she lives in wow. Cote d'Ivoire. So that's such a powerful story. That's one story. And we are right. impacting millions of people around the world. That's incredible. And it, and it really kind of, you know, this drop of dye in the water, right? It, it spreads out in a way that, you know, defense certainly does, diplomacy certainly does, but not in the same kind of tangible ways, right? And we often hear from commanders, from soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, that there is such an important development component to the work they're doing, whether it's a ground offensive, whether it's stability ops, whatever it is, because you can't win hearts and minds if you're, you know, the infrastructure is to pieces, if That's nobody right. has any opportunity. Um, and do you find that your vantage point is different now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is in some way, right, from state to care. And does it change how you think about the work? There are some differences, certainly. I think um, my role at the State Department allowed me to look across our funding portfolio at a very macro level, um, to look at the type of programming that we were doing to ensure that we were responding to crises, humanitarian crises, um, to ensure that we were encouraging other nations to step up and, and to contribute more. And my focus now is really on how care, um, care innovates and multiplies its impact. So it goes from a very macro look to the focus of one global organization and how we can not just respond to a crisis, but in the response to a crisis, transform people's lives. How we can really bring a different set of partners together, um, how we can uh, use technology, how we can uh, learn from our expertise in the field to spread that knowledge to other programs. So it's a it's a different perspective, but I think the, the, uh, the passion and the motivation to ensure we're spending money well and effectively uh, feels very, very similar. 
So that brings up a really important point. I think one of the biggest kind of counter arguments to foreign aid and to USAID generally um, isn't so much necessarily how much of the U.S. budget is devoted to it, but um, that is the money used effectively and is the money getting where it needs to go. Obviously, we can't control for everything. Um, that's impossible. We've tried. <laughs> but from again, from you know, the State Department to CARE to your time on the Hill and really looking at these programs, you know, what's the reality of the situation? Like, are, are these dollars going where they need to go? And how can we improve? Or is there almost just you know, a margin of error that's natural and we have to be okay with? Sure. I think it depends where you're operating. Um, but just to step back from that for a moment, um, one distinction I have between state and my time at CARE is state, we're really focused on taxpayer dollars. Right. And at CARE, we're focused on taxpayer dollars as well as foundation dollars and right. individual dollars. But what's consistent is a real obligation to feel that you're spending money wisely. Yes. So we must be held accountable. And within the government, we have a lot of oversight, a lot of requirements. Um, that We respond to those at CARE. We, we write reports. We, we um, are subjected to monitoring and evaluation, and we should be. Um, we should be held accountable for how we spend those resources. I think where it's challenging is when you're operating in contexts, which we see more and more of, that are very unstable, that are very unsafe, um, that you can't physically have as much oversight on perhaps as you might want to. So I think about some of the work that we were doing, not at CARE, but at State um, in Afghanistan, and how the security environment uh, was, was deteriorating and how we had to quickly adapt and bring in new models of of evaluation and oversight. Um, We called it multi-tiered monitoring, and it enabled us to bring together a few different uh, mechanisms, you know, geospatial, uh, having people go out and look at a a site, for example. But I I think none of us felt as confident uh, as if we could go out, not the deputy secretary, but our team could go out and see it and talk to people. But there's an opportunity cost. We could not do it. And then we could, you know, not advance our, our security and our foreign policy objectives. So I do think that there's uh, a context-specific adjustment that you have to be willing um, to accept. We are sure. doing through CARE. We have important work going on in Yemen to deal with mm-hmm. one of the four areas that's that's facing famine conditions. Yemen is a very difficult place to operate in, and we have very brave and committed people who work there. Um, I think it's much more challenging to deliver services in that environment than it would be where you're not concerned about security risks. And with the, the rise of violent extremism in groups from Boko Haram to al-Shabaab, um, I think we're seeing more and more contexts in which it's difficult to operate. So we have to continue to innovate in our methods of monitoring and evaluation. The fact that um, big data exists and more and more organizations and the government are trying to figure out how to really use that data to more effectively spend dollars is exciting. It's it's hard work, um, but it is actually really exciting when you start to see the results and you can more quickly adjust or adapt what you're doing. So as you know, this innovation happens, you mentioned big data, you mentioned the idea of using geospatial to kind of really see literally, right, where dollars are going, which is such a cool idea. Um, There are all these opportunities to make sure work is as impactful and efficient as it can be, and being able to tell the story of foreign aid and assistance and its role in national security in some ways is getting easier, you know, with technology and all these things, but it also sounds like getting people to listen is harder. Um, Do you think that's true? Do you think that this story, even though 
you know, the, it's easier to get the information to tell the story. It's harder to find a captive audience that really wants to listen. I think it's true for foreign policy and development as well as pretty much every other issue. There is a proliferation of sources of information, um, and it's uh, in in its and there's a shorter attention span uh, sure. essentially. And so the the plus there is. You can go to lots of different platforms and get information, hopefully true information, right. hopefully factual. <laughs> That's important. Yes. <laughs> Not fake news. news. Exactly. Um, but there are many places to go from from Twitter to podcasts. You, you, if you want to learn about something, you can. Yeah. When you look at the headlines, you know, setting aside the political political headlines, but but substantive, you know, policy issues. We've we've spent you know a couple of years really looking at um, pictures and stories of yeah. people crossing oceans uh, in search of safety and security, setting across Europe. Um, People, I think, understand there's a crisis. Right. Um, the question is, how do you keep their attention long enough to get them invested in some of the solutions? Right. And I, I think that's the challenge. So I see an opportunity in engaging people more deeply and, and inviting them to be part of the solution, whether from a position of advocacy of saying, Congress, these are important programs. Please don't cut them, to, yeah. to actually engaging with programming at an organization like CARE and understanding its impact and, and supporting it with dollars or um, uh, s- simply on your, your online um, presence uh, by highlighting those things. So I think the challenge for, for foreign policy and development and really any issue is the noise, that there's just so much information and so many different platforms. Um, but I, I do think that we're, we're seeing a lot of media attention and very solid reporting on what's going on in the world. And so we have to find and continue to find ways to engage people in that. It's not enough just to put information out. Right. You know, it really has to be an engagement. They really have to feel, um, you know, sort of tied to the mission in some way if I'm thinking about it from a care perspective. Uh, we have to keep getting better at that. And what do you think are kind of, you know, I don't want to say the key takeaways of foreign aid, right, because it's much bigger than that. Um, but when you're talking to somebody who's maybe on the fence or doesn't understand or maybe even desire to understand why this matters. You know, do you find that talking about these individual stories like the woman in Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, or are these big macro stories better? Does it depend on the person? Do you need a mix of the two? I, mean, I really I think it's the personal um, yeah. that draws people in. Everybody can relate to the picture of a toddler washed on a beach. Um, everyone can relate to their own family having an experience as challenging as deciding to jump into a raft because your security is so uncertain. And I think when you humanize it and when people can make that digestible and understand that as Americans we can play an important role in address in, in pursuing peace, in ending conflict, and in supporting those people, I think you really have a chance to bring them in. I was in Madagascar when I was um, on State Department travel, and there was a USAID-funded um, uh, van health it was it was in this this slum there's no other way to describe it incredibly poor and they would come in once a month or so and they would educate women about um, about birth control or about child spacing and I met this young girl who had listened well young woman I should say had listened to the presentation and she was 17 years old and she had mm-hmm. a baby uh, on her hip and she was pregnant and so I don't know, but I guessed that she probably was pregnant when she was 14. And I said, what did you think about what you just heard? And she said, I didn't know I could control this. And 
that is, I mean, you know, as, as a parent, as someone who dislikes kids in general, yeah. <laughs> to think this sort of basic level of information and access, and, and, and this is far apart from funding for abortions or very controversial right. issues. This is about basic knowledge right. um, and ba- access to basic health services, and, and you put yourself in that young, young woman young woman's shoes and you think you know there's there's a role we can play um and it it ranges from that to to um you know a wide range of 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 responses and services that we've provided as an as a nation and as an american people i mean that that's a really you're right like that is a really compelling story and and the personal does matter um and as you go out to advocate for these programs to administer these programs to protect their funding um what how do you define success you know maybe at each one of those different aspects of what you do i think the big question right now that we're facing uh with the foreign affairs budget is whether we're going to be cut um as the trump administration has requested in their budget when i say we i mean everybody who engages in this work the sure. proposal uh proposes um the budget proposal um suggests a 31 percent cut for state and usaid funding if that were to be actualized, it's most likely it would be an even deeper cut in the development funding and sure. the response to humanitarian crises. Um, and and with four in four different countries, we see famine conditions uh, over the horizon. We have the largest refugee and migration crisis uh, ever, and the impact of that would be to to hurt millions and millions and millions of people. And so, I hesitate to define success right now as you know pushing back on that cut. Because any cut is going to be devastating at right. this moment in time in terms of what the needs are. So I define success as continuing to grow this investment. Um, the Congress just recently passed a full funding bill for FY17 for, the last, for this fiscal year. And in it included almost a billion dollars to respond to the famines. And that was it's enormous, enormous yeah. and welcome, and we're so grateful as a community for that. But that's the leadership we really need to see. Right. And so I define success not as, as fighting off the, the cut and trying to make it smaller, but as actually continuing to grow these resources. Yeah. And do you think that's realistic? I mean, I honestly don't know. It sounds like maybe because, you know, for FY17, there's a billion dollars to fight famine in four places. I think that... There are a lot of members of Congress who believe that this investment should not be cut back. I think what's hard to um, predict going forward is um, how the budget debate will shape up in the next fiscal year and whether um, on the dis- on the non-defense side, I'm trying yeah. not to be too wonky on the budget, <laughs> on the non-defense agencies, whether that number overall will decrease. And if it will, then um, you'll see agencies like the State Department and USAID um, facing growing costs and agencies like Veterans Affairs and, yeah. you know, the American people and, and American, uh, the American, uh, the Congress and the American people are not going to accept uh, cutting veterans off their health care, nor should they. Right. But th- those are the type of, types of choices that have to be made. So it's my hope that the leaders in Congress will, will, will fight the effort to really shrink that number um, and we'll, we'll sort of look across what our needs are as a nation and recognize that this is critical to it. So I'm optimistic that we won't see cuts on the level that were proposed by the Trump administration. Um, I don't feel confident that we'll meet my objective, which is to continue to grow this investment. And the only way we'll do that is if we engage and talk about why this is important um, 
and work with, with members across, both, across the aisle, both bodies, um, to talk about why this is so critical to American security and prosperity. So, of course, our last question, right, is always what's next. Um, so I'll pose it to you in the context of foreign aid, um, particularly maybe even the budget, right, is 10, 25, maybe even years from now. Um, what do you hope foreign aid and assistance looks like, and what do you think it will look like? Are those two things different? Well, I actually think this is an exciting question. So despite the what's next in the short term, which is sure. just a, the next budget <laughs> battle, um, over the long term, you know, we've seen uh, very different trends in foreign assistance. It used to be that official development assistance, so what governments around the world would dedicate to foreign assistance, was the largest flow into developing countries. Um, that's changed. The official development assistance is still very, very important. Um, but we're also seeing private flows and investments. We're seeing remittances. We're seeing other uh, investments uh, come into play. And so the future of foreign assistance is about partnerships mm -hmm. and is about leveraging official development assistance to be able to scale in different ways. So that sounds great. What does it mean? It means instead of just a USAID funding a project in a particular community, it means that they're funding a project in a community with an international NGO and a corporation uh, and a local government, and they've teamed up to make policy changes um, to bring the change to more places and to use the technical expertise and on-the-ground um, capability to really um, uh, to do the right things. And I think that does happen today, um, but that's the future, and that requires the government to work differently. It requires NGOs like CARE uh, to continue to work differently, and it requires us to work more closely uh, with the private sector where we have shared interests. And that's a pretty exciting way because it can multiply impact. Um, sure. it, can, it can take us from reaching you know, 10 people to 10,000, and that's the future, and that's exciting. Well, Heather Higginbottom, dare I say the founding mother of ASP, <laughs> um, obviously of the White House, the State Department, and now CARE. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been What's Next from American Security Project. I'm Maggie Felton-Filch.